We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. I want to share what I pray is an encouraging word from the Lord with you today. One of the things I've observed in my study of Scripture is that God always works through a process. Creation was a process. God could have done it all in a moment of time, but he took seven days to do it. Uh, He did it by a process, and I think it establishes a modus operandi of God. Dispensations were a process where God increasingly, through the dispensations of time, dealt with men in varied ways. His incarnation was a process. History, which is his story, is a process of human life and activity, hopefully in its relationship to God, but often in their economy and social development with each other's. History is time-stamped. God is eternal. Man's work is always framed by a time period. God's work, as I said, he does it for eternity. As I said, his incarnation was a process. The Bible said Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Salvation is a process. Unlike it's proposed by much of Christianity, it's not a one-and-done event. Converts are made in a moment, but disciples are made over a lifetime. They're a lifetime project with God working in our lives as we grow and mature and develop. Then hopefully our spiritual experience with God will mature and develop and we'll come into an ever-increasing depth of relationship with God. God has a process for every individual, and every individual's process is markedly different from others. Those who do not, some have no process with God because they don't acknowledge God in their life. But I'm in a process, you're in a process. At some point in our journey with God, we are at different points in different places with God. That's why in life we go through different things at different times. Uh, We come to understand different things at different times. Do you really think that God doesn't have a process ongoing working in your life, in my life, in the life of all of us? Do you think that God doesn't have a process in the world? That God even has a process in this pandemic I don't believe God authored something, but God always has the ability to use whatever man brings upon himself. God wastes nothing, whether it's of his authorization or whether it's authored by another. He works all things to the good for them who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. If you don't love him, then and are not called according to his purpose, then you can't expect good to come out of bad. You cannot expect God to work things for your good if you don't acknowledge him. Often we're like the disciples in the storm. Jesus knew the storm was coming, but he sent them into it anyhow. What Peter learned was you must keep your eye 
not on the storm, but on the Savior. Whatever difficulty we find ourselves in in life, it often is there to distract us, and we get our eye on the problem instead of keeping our eye on the problem solver. I want to discuss a couple Bible characters with you today. Joseph enters our notice as a young child. Then we see him as a young man in his teen years. Uh, he is hated by his brothers, and it's by and part a large the fault of his father because his father had a prejudice towards Joseph because he was the firstborn of his favored wife, Rachel. And uh, so because of this prejudice and bias, the brothers hated him. And the opportunity came at one time when the other boys were out tending their flocks. They had gone to one place and then they had moved the flocks to Dothan. And Joseph was sent by his fathers to inquire of them and see what was going on in their life. Uh, he went to the place where he was told they would be. They weren't there. He talked to a countryman there. He told them that he had heard their discussion, and they said they were going down to Joseph, and Joseph did find them there. While he was a great way off, the brothers recognized him. How could you miss him with his coat of many colors? And so they began to devise a plan. They'd said to kill him. Judah offered, we'll kill him. Reuben said, no, that's not really not smart. Let's just, I saw a pit over here. Let's throw him in the pit, take his coat, and uh, we'll, we'll figure out some, something better to do with him. And about some time after that, a caravan of Ishmaelites, who were also called Midianites, approached, and uh, Judah got the idea, let's, let's sell him to these travelers sell him as a slave. We'll get some money out of him. We'll take his coat, dip it in some goat blood, and take it back to dad and tell him an evil beast fell upon him. And so that's what they did. Uh, Reuben came back to the pit, and Joseph was gone. Evidently, he had been tending sheep and unattentive to what the other brothers had done. And he was very distraught that Joseph was missing and that's when they decided to dip his coat in blood and take it to their father and tell him that an evil beast fell on him. So Joseph is taken down into Egypt by these Midianites or Ishmaelites, and he was sold into slavery to a man by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar found early on that Joseph was an asset to him because his holdings and his whole household was blessed and benefited uh, by Joseph uh, being in his house. And ultimately, Joseph came to be steward over all that Potiphar had. And uh, so his master's wife kind of fell for Joseph. Evidently, he was a very handsome, obviously a very gifted young man. And so she was attracted to him, and, and so one day uh, she called him into his bedchamber and uh, asked him to lie with her, and Joseph resisted her attempts, and as he fled, she grabbed his coat and, and hung on to it, and when her husband came back, she told him the story. I don't really think Potiphar believed the story, because had he, he probably would have had Joseph put to death. But to somehow to live with the beast, he just had him thrown in prison. And uh, in the prison, 
Once again, he found favor. It seemed that things just fell in the hand of Joseph. He was gifted in insight and wisdom and uh, evidently gave the keeper of the prison some insights of the best way to <coughs> deal with the prisoners and to engage them. And so he found favor, <coughs> excuse me, in the prison. And uh, so one day there came two of the prisoners with him, a butler and a baker, and told him their dreams. And Joseph told the baker that you're going to be put to death in three days, and the butler, you're going to be restored to your position in the kingdom in three days. And so uh, Joseph told uh, the butler, he said, when it's well with thee, remember me. And so often, as happens, people who bless us in the past, uh, we tend to kind of forget them when things change in our life and uh, we're promoted and we, get, we do better and they seem to remain in the same place that they are. But uh, <clears throat> Joseph teaches us that we should never resent a place of favor whether it's in Potiphar's house, whether it's in the prison. Because Joseph had had a dream, and the problem with the dream was the only way that dream could be fulfilled was in Egypt. And the only way to get him in Egypt was his father to send him out to his brothers who hate him, her, his brothers to sell him into slavery, him to wind up in the Potiphar's house in the prison, and ultimately into the court of the Pharaoh of Egypt. It finally came to a period of time when a famine engrossed not only Egypt, but the entire area, region, perhaps over the whole world. And so Jacob and his family run out of food stuff, and he heard that there was corn and grain in Egypt. So he sent the boys into Egypt to bring back grain, but he held back Je uh, Joseph's full brother, Benjamin, kept him back in the tents with him. And so as the boys came, they came into Egypt, and they uh, <clears throat> Joseph was the one who administered all the food stuff. He recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. And so as a point went, he placed food to them, loaded their wagons with food, and he also took a silver cup of, that belonged to him and hid it uh, in the sack of, of Benjamin. And so when uh, they left, uh, they sent soldiers, they captured them and found the cup in the sack of Benjamin and they were brought back. And so Joseph began to question them and he asked very pointed questions, but they never caught on. And finally he revealed himself to them, I'm your brother Joseph. And they feared for their life because now he was in a position of authority and power. He could have them put to death. But he told them, don't fear because you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph understood that this was God's means of fulfilling his dream because everyone in the world had to bow before Joseph, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Uh, his father would ultimately bow before him. And so uh, there are events in our lives that people mean for evil, but no matter what their intent is, God's intent never changes from, from evil to good. And so God always intends that whatever we go through, 
to redound to our good. Did God orchestrate Joseph's promotion so he'd become prime minister? Was this about a story about Joseph? No, it really wasn't about Joseph at all. And it really wasn't about fulfilling the dream of Joseph. You see, God needed to get the descendants of Abraham into Egypt because 400 uh, or, or 90 years before that, he had made a promise to Abraham that I'm going to take you and your in descendants into Egypt, and there I'm going to make you a mighty nation. If God could have made Israel a mighty nation in the land of Canaan, that's where he would have left them. But he could not make them a mighty nation without taking them into Egypt. Who knows what God is working through our, your, my disadvantage that we're going through right now. Who can imagine what wonderful things God is working through the process of the trouble that we're going through? There were things that Joseph needed to learn about himself before he could rule others. He needed to know how to rule himself. When David, and we'll talk about him more in a minute, but when David was sent by his father with bread and cheese to the camp of where the army of Israel was facing the Philistines near the Valley of Elah, uh, David had to win a victory that day before he ever fought Goliath. And that was his brothers accused him of having a nefarious purpose for coming down to the encampment so he could see the battle. And, uh, but David ruled his own spirit, and he kept, he kept to himself. Uh, if he felt any anger or any despondency, you remember that when Samuel came to anoint the king, that Jesse brought the other seven brothers before him, and only when Samuel asked, is there yet another, that he thought about David and bringing him in from the field and then having him anointed to be king. So God had to use that process with David and, and that development with David. God used a process to get Joseph into Egypt and to his families there because it was there that he built them a mighty nation. Job is another prime example of the processes of God. The Bible said Job was upright, he was perfect, he feared God, and he hated evil. If there's anybody that I was God and wanted to make sure to take good care of, in my, my mind would kind of lean toward Job. But when Satan came, before the throne of God, when the sons of God came before the throne and Satan came also with them, it wasn't Satan that brought up Job, it was God. We all know the suffering of Job. You know, his three friends, the three friends of Job, who needs enemies when you got those kind of people for friends? So Job begins to question God. And the one thing that I lack to find in all the book of Job, God never answered one question Job ever asked him. In fact, there's only 14 verses that occur in the book of Job that Job had no knowledge of what was going on. That's the first seven verses of chapter 1 and seven verses in chapter 2. That's all in the book, entire book of Job, out of uh, 1,168 verses in the book, uh, 
Job only did not know 14 of them. Most of us would think that if we knew 98.8% of what God knew, we'd be brilliant. We'd be brilliant. But if he kept 1.2%, just kept Job in the dark, how little informed all of us are about God's ways. How little of us understand about God. People who charge God in times like this and say, why did God bring this upon us? And what does, what, how can a good God do this in our life? We have no understanding, no way to comprehend the infinite love, the infinite purpose, the infinite wisdom behind whatever God does. To walk with God, you have to accept his ways without understanding his motives. Job concludes this, God is of one mind who can turn him. That that he appoints, he will perform. All of us keep a calendar of events of things that we have scheduled in the days to come, weeks to come, months to come, and some things even years ahead to come. We have a calendar, but God also has a calendar. And if my calendar contradicts with God's calendar, which appointment do you think I'm going to keep, mine or God's? God asked Job a lot of questions that Job had no answer for them. Among them, he asked Job, would you annul my judgment? He asked him, where were you when I created and crafted the universe and the heavens and I hung the world on nothing? Job, do you have an arm like I do? Do you have an arm like God? Job, will you condemn me that you might be righteous? That's always the way with condemnation. We condemn another to appear more righteous than they are. And when Job condemned God or charged God, then wasn't he acting in a self-righteous manner? Daniel said, hitherto is the end of the man matter. Why didn't God answer Job? Because God was the answer. He was the answer for Job's dilemma. He was the answer for Joseph's dilemma. He was the answer for David's dilemma. He's the answer for your dilemma and my dilemma. God has an end in mind. He is of one mind, and none can turn him. What he has appointed, that he will also perform. Given our history, if we knew what God had planned on our calendar, we'd do everything in our power to circumvent the difficult and rough places. But as we navigate the crisis that we find ourselves in, let's navigate this crisis with this promise. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Paul stated in his writings that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame, for the love of God is shed abroad by our hearts, by the Holy Ghost that is in us. The companions you always find in company with one another is hope and faith and love. Where but in God can you start with trouble 
and in with hope, only in the processes of God. I close with this word from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. That's good advice three millenniums ago. It's good advice today. Now we are in trouble, but with faith we can end in hope. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.